on this topic now for mm-hmm. I think nine years since 2013 when I had forecasted that the mischief that the CIA was up to in Ukraine uh, was going to uh, uh, lead to war uh, and how it was going to be economically uh, destabilizing uh, for the West. Now, I, even I couldn't have predicted that it would have been this belligerent, this bad. But there were some things that uh, transpired this week that I, I think justify us uh, discussing it again. Uh, the United okay. States uh, held uh, exercises of its uh, nuclear forces over Eastern Europe in a very provocative uh, way. The United States uh, asked uh, for the, uh, uh, the production and sale for key personnel of uh, $290 million with anti-radiation pills. Uh, wow. We, uh, uh, we're in a very, very dangerous situation. And mm-hmm. we are continuing to push the Russians to the point where their, uh, their only option will be to use uh, tactical nuclear weapons. Even Netanyahu uh, this week came out and said that the issue in the Ukraine is how a grotesque miscalculation has put the world at the precipice of of a nuclear war. Um, And I've been talking about this for nine years, and uh, over that time, no one would listen. Uh, And I have uh, noticed something else this week, and that is that uh, the United States has actually publicly launched an agency of disinformation. Uh, they funded it in the, uh, uh, this year's uh, appropriations uh, bill, uh, and it is specifically designed to convey misinformation about what is going on in the Ukraine. And what they have found is that it is exceedingly easy to fool the overwhelming preponderance of people 
to believe that the United States is a peacemaker uh, and that we are are uh, supplying weapons to defend the wonderful and freedom-loving people of the Ukraine to fight off the awful authoritarian tyrant in Putin. And that narrative just isn't true. But that is the narrative they want you to believe and that most Americans have followed. I share that because the world is headed to war. We are now uh, just four years away from uh, the likely ratification and imposition of what I call the final solution that's uh, known amongst progressives as the two-state solution, uh, which will uh, dismember uh, Israel, making it so susceptible that the world will finally um, seek to destroy the uh, the nation. Even now, the United Nations is meeting uh, to officially label the Israeli occupation of their own homeland illegal and to side with the people that literally do not exist. Uh, Palestinians is a complete myth. There has not been a Palestinian since the, both the Assyrians and then Alexander the Great uh, bludgeoned them into mm-hmm. uh, uh, into no longer not existing. Yep. Yeah. So it is. There is no place called Palestine. There are no people called Palestinians. And you have to lie about your core cause. Uh, then you really do not have a cause. I have uh, about halfway through the final chapter of what will be uh, Volume Nine of uh, the Yada Yada series. Uh, it is a uh, a trip through Daniel. It's been one of the most trying experiences of my uh, of uh, this venue of uh, v- adventure of translating Yahweh's testimony. Daniel is a real scallywag, amongst the worst people I have ever gotten to know. Um, and and so it is. Uh, it's trying to uh, go through this, but. Uh, I am currently in uh, translating the 11th uh, chapter, and the 11th chapter of uh, of Daniel uh, is a presentation of Greeks acting badly, not only among themselves, but as it relates to Israel. And while it is a exceedingly accurate portrayal of future Greek history uh, as uh, uh, the king of the north and the king of the south are uh, the the two larger divisions of uh, of Greeks following Alexander the Great uh, warring with each other and fighting among themselves and it's it's really a despicable history the short assessment of Greeks is oh the cradle of democracy and and the uh, the cradle of, uh, of philosophy and of science and how how wonderful the Greeks are. No, they were absolute savages, um, immoral, despicable. But the reason that it's, 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 it is important is that right around uh, the 20th verse of uh, what is a very long chapter in the uh, 11th chapter, which I think is is a narrative provided uh, by Elia, that he... Uh, Almost everything he says from there to the end of the chapter, while it was historically true 
of the uh, of the Greeks, mm-hmm. uh, and they're uh, they're fighting with the the uh, Ptolemaic uh, Empire in Egypt. Ptolemies, mm-hmm. yeah. It it is all descriptive of what the Torahless One will be, the uh, the last horn, the final beast, the devil's advocate, uh, literally Satan incarnate. Every aspect of it, word for word. And so we have a very vivid portrayal of uh, the techniques Satan will use in his uh, rise to power. And wow, now you just see each of them playing out in our immediate future. So we are very close to the time of trouble. uh, And uh, there's very little time for people to make their final decision. Now, speaking of trouble, there's something that's been taking place in Israel, particularly as they move towards elections and particularly as the uh, the far right and the Haredim parties coalesce around uh, a potential return of Netanyahu. Uh, and that is that uh, settlers by the many thousands are rioting. It is the thing that was blown out of proportion early on with a very small number of settlers uh, harassing uh, Arabs, Uh, and yet it uh, became the central focus of the Biden administration. That is no longer the case. Um, And I have always been suspect when Israelis are blamed for harassing uh, Arabs uh, because it's uh, usually uh, um, misleading. This time it is not. This time it is not. You you can watch the uh, the videos, and this, the sad thing is you've got these just disgusting, effeminate uh, men, and they're uh, they're they're not wearing their black suits, but they've got their little curly cues. They've got their paper thin arms. Uh, and they're uh, hurling rocks and uh, and metal rods uh, with all the uh, the might and the uh, finesse of a of a girl in the second grade. I mean, they are just pathetic human beings, and they just look obnoxious. I mean, they vomit. Uh, and they're uh, throwing rocks at uh, Arab cars, and they're they're going up to. <laughs> Uh, just Arab merchants minding their own business and their stores with their rods as a gang and deliberately harassing them. And while they're doing so, the IDF troops that are in the area are for the most part just standing by, doing nothing. It will be the impetus that finally breaks the back of uh, Israel's uh, stance against the Fakistinians. So I'm I'm particularly disgusted, and it's being done to enhance the Netanyahu campaign, um, being perpetrated by the far right wing uh, settlers uh, and by the the Haredim, those two blocks, um, who both want to return to power, uh, um, and uh, it'll be disastrous for Israel because. The only way that Netanyahu can get a majority of the seats of the Knesset in the bankrupt parliamentary system, uh, look how well it worked out in England this last uh, Mm -hmm. week, uh, is to bribe the Haredim, 
promising that uh, that the non-religious Israelis who are working and driving the economy forward have to carry the cost of the Haredim and pay for their stipends and pay for their desire not to work and not to serve and not to do anything of value. And the head of the Haredim, the central rabbi, just announced that there is no reason to teach them math, the sciences, or English, which will leave them completely dependent upon the rubbish of the Babylonian Talmud. And so that's where we are in Israel, uh, and it, uh, it, it holds very poorly. Uh, and, you know, realistically, the writing is on the wall. Uh, uh, Daniel is very specific. Uh, not Daniel himself, Daniel's a scallywag, but uh, the uh, the voices that are speaking to Daniel, uh, none of the three are angels, by the way, as has been assumed. Uh, one is Makael, uh, who is uh, presented as a Tsar, which means that he is a herald and spokesman on behalf of the king and his family. The other is the king himself, Dode, who is uh, called to straighten Daniel out, and the uh, the last is the other witness in uh, 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 Elia. They make it clear that uh, that how much time is uh, is left. Uh, the worst of the time of uh, Jacob's troubles will be three and a half years. It will start on Pesach with the return of the two witnesses uh, in 2030. Um, it'll all be over uh, by uh, Kippurim in uh, 2033 Uh, but the thinning of israel and the enactment of the two-state solution the affirmation of a treaty with many that is spoken of uh, by the prophet uh, yashaya in the 17th and 18th chapters and uh, uh, spoken of in daniel uh, 9 uh, is scheduled for uh, seven years before the uh, the end which puts it into the late fall of 2026, uh, just four years from now. Uh, the other thing that I, I, in fact, there's two other things that I need to uh, discuss uh, briefly. Uh-huh. Uh, one of those is that uh, there was a, uh, a schmuck, uh, that, uh, a really disgusting fellow, that tried to endear himself by lying. Uh, to D and others in the social media trying to say, oh, I've been listening to these podcasts for a long time and I want to learn more and all of this. And then he uh, he took uh, aspects of the translations and commentary to create a website whose uh, which, uh, central purpose is to uh, besmirch my reputation and, and just to slander me. Uh, and while I don't care about being slandered by a religious person, this person is promoting Jesus, as if uh, there was such a fellow. Uh, that doesn't bother me. We're going to be, by uh, particular myself, I'm going to be uh, attacked uh, ruthlessly uh, by uh, the religious. Uh, and so that is just goes with the, the territory. I don't much like it when they uh, steal um, our material and take uh, mm-hmm. uh, the translations and commentary and the time of those who are working to promote uh, this information on behalf of God's family. Um, and by the way, we are uh, marketing in Poland uh, this uh, evening, so we welcome uh, the Polish members of, uh, of Israel. 
that part of it is is frustrating for them. Um, uh, so I uh, I just want to say once again that anytime you see my translations or commentary on a conspiratorial or a religious site, understand that they have pilfered them uh, to promote their own agenda, and it is something that we overtly condemn. Uh, my wife uh, did a, uh, a study uh, last night uh, of uh, what she uh, considered to be failed regimes, failed states, just to show how many countries right now are on the uh, uh, the precipice of uh, of collapse, uh, and yeah, I don't think it's ever been uh, such that the entire world, between the consequence of the overreaction to uh, COVID and the lockdowns and what mm-hmm. that did to economies, followed by the sanctions associated uh, with the uh, uh, America's war against uh, Russia using Ukraine as a proxy. We're in a horrible situation worldwide. Uh, these uh, nations include Yemen, the Sudan, Somalia, the Central African Republic, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And, and many of these African countries right now are enveloped in civil wars. Uh, Afghanistan, Syria, Chad, uh, Myanmar, Haiti, oh my goodness, Haiti is uh, is a war zone. Guinea, Ethiopia, which is torn by civil war. Mali, Nigeria, which is torn by civil war. Zimbabwe, Eritrea, uh, Bermundi, Niger, Mozambique, oh, Libya, Iraq, which we broke, like Libya, fair and square. Mm-hmm. Congo. Yeah. Uganda, uh, Venezuela, uh, Guinea Biaso. Uh, just for good measure, my wife had Venezuela again, but we can add to this uh, list uh, Panama, which is on the verge of uh, of collapse. Uh, as uh, as we can also add Sri Lanka, which has already collapsed. Uh, she does not have on her list. Um, uh, Lebanon, which is also a nation that is post-collapse. Uh, uh, well, I guess she does have Lebanon. I see it here. Pakistan, Ivory Coast, North Korea, uh, Libya, Kenya, Angola, Mauritania, Bangladesh, oh, and uh, very soon uh, to this list, Iran. Uh and to that, you can add countries that are uh, very near free fall, uh, like uh, North Macedonia, um, Greece, Turkey, Egypt, um, uh, Spain, Italy, uh, that uh, their debt to GDP ratios are so high, the countries are no longer sustainable without uh, smoke and mm-hmm. mirrors. So that's where we find our uh, self, and it's uh, clearly not a pretty picture. You know, you predicted uh, all that years ago too. We went through all the all the uh, yes. So yeah, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, and, and it's, it's very clear real, that real. when you when you read through the presentation of the mm-hmm. prototype 
for the Torahless One. And his name is uh, uh, Antiochus, um, and it's Antiochus the Fourth. But his name for himself is what is so enticing. It's uh, Epiphanes, and Epiphanes means the manifestation of God. He is the model for the Torahless One, and it's interesting that uh, his uh, um, his history. He will be a progressive. He is a tax and spender. He is going to tax with one hand and take, and with the other hand, uh, hand out so that people view him as charitable and compassionate. And he's going to tell a good story about promising uh, prosperity. He'll negotiate uh, deals with Egypt and with um, the Roman Catholic Church, um, but it'll all be lies. And by the time people figure it out, it will be too late. All right, we're going to return to uh, what is chapter two of, of the eighth volume of Yada Yada. It was a trip uh, from beginning to end, really. It is a trip through the book of, uh, of Hosha. And we were in the first chapter when Yahweh was condemning his people based upon all that transpired in the, um, the Valley of Jezreel. And as we progressed, and this is where we left off uh, <clears throat> this time several weeks ago, we had reached the lowest point uh, in that story. It is both the lowest point and a high point in the story in the sense of we're going to talk about uh, King Ahab and his queen Jezebel, but we're also going to talk about Yahweh's response to them, which is uh, through one of the most interesting of the prophets and uh, the lead amongst the two end-time witnesses, Elia. So as deplorable as the insights into Israel's history have been pertaining to the Jezreel Valley, the most reprehensible story is the one that we're going to consider uh, this evening. It is uh, prompted by uh, Keg Achab, Achab, uh, uh, who is known as Ahab, built his royal residence in the Jezreel Valley, actually in the town of Jezreel, and as such it served as the capital of the northern kingdom. Therein uh, lived the paradigm of evil, the worst king and queen God's people would ever uh, endure, Ahab and Jezebel. Following the disastrous reigns of Jeroboam, who came before, uh, Nadab and Basha, Israel was polluted with religiosity. As corrupted by egocentric politicians as could be imagined, God's wayward people fell from bad to unimaginably worse, opening the gates of hell. And this is not my opinion, but instead God's assessment. If you don't think so, read the uh, 16th chapter of 1 Kings. During this religious turmoil and political intrigue, Basha killed Nadab. Then Zimri, who was a chariot commander, conspired to kill Basha. They were acting like the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And after are the Romans... So after murdering Basha's sons, the Israelites turned on Zimri, uh, giving his, uh, 
his army and uh, kidnapping uh, and kingship, I should say, over to Omri. Israel was setting the model that uh, both Greece and Rome would follow. Distraught over the Philistine victory at uh, Trizat, uh, Zimri uh, burned uh, uh, the uh, Jezreelian palace. It raised it to the ground. Uh, and Israel was fractured. Omri followed in his predecessor's evil religious ways, calling the people uh, to worship all manner of false gods. And it was in this cesspool that Omri's death, uh, upon Omri's death, that Ahab's uh, retrobate son became king. As he had with a litany of men who preceded Ahab, God announced Ahab's uh, reign with the following uh, edict. And Ahab did what was considered evil in the sight of Yahweh, worse than all who were before him. First Kings 16.30. Now that's pretty bad. That's pretty because plain, too. There weren't many good ones, and there were a lot of really bad ones. So if you're the worst of a bad lot, in God's eyes, that's not good. I, I, we know now that, that for five days, followed by 40 days after the completion of uh, the celebration of Sukkah in 2030, year 6,000, yeah, there's going to be a, uh, a trial. Uh, and it is likely that um, Elia is going to be able to try and sentence the likes of uh, Ahab and his uh, wife uh, Jezebel, as well as all of the list of twisted uh, Israelis along the way. Uh, I think it is also likely that uh, that I will be assigned the dastardly duty of of uh, exposing and condemning the likes of uh, Stalin and Hitler and worse uh, Mohammed and Paul. Yeah, Paul. Excuse yeah, me, Paul. just one second. <laughs> Alexa, off. I must have said a word that sounded like uh, I was telling. <laughs> She's a different you know, kind of oh, woman. To do what? <laughs> <laughs> she is a compliant woman. I will I, tell you that. Not I, that, I find not that that's myself, a good thing. So feel bad. Yeah, not that that's a good thing. And it came to be as uh, if it was a trivial thing to him to walk in the offensive religiosity of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, such that he took Isabel which means worships the Lord, Isabel. Alas, the Lord's country exalts and worships Baal. Mm. To be his woman and wife, the daughter of Ethbal, with the Lord Baal, king of, of Sidoni, which is the hunter's Sidon. And they walked and acted alongside, engaging on behalf of Baal, the Lord. They bowed down, prostrating themselves in worship to him. You know, when you read things like this, yes. it is astonishing that, that there are religions uh, where the Lord is God. 
Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all present the Lord as God. And yet, the only real God says that the Lord is Satan. Read these words. That's what Baal means. He erected an altar to Baal, the Lord, and Baeth Baal, the house of the Lord, which he built, Shomeron, Samaria, 1 Kings 16.32. Then Ahab, father of the brethren, engaged with Asherah, the Canaanite goddess of fortuitous relationships. Achab, father of the brethren, did more to antagonize, anger, and provoke, to grieve and trouble Yahweh Almighty, God of Israel, than all of the kings of Israel, which came before him. So, if I were to ask you, what is the most grievous thing that you can do to God, where you antagonize him to the greatest extent possible? What would that be? Worship the Lord. That's it. Be religious. Yeah. Worship the Lord. That you could is make the nature of Christianity, know. the nature of Judaism, the nature of Islam, is they all worship the Lord. It is the single most egregious thing that you can do relative to Yahweh. As a result, Elia, God is uh, um, spoke out against the corrupt religious leadership of uh, of his country. With his words, he brought a drought upon the land. The waters of Meribah would dry up. All the while, Queen Isabel means worships the Lord, was doing what the religious do best, silencing those who speak for Yahweh as a service to Satan. So following the queen's murderous spree, there was a showdown at the western end of the Jezreel Valley, near uh, your hometown there, Kirk, (laughs) Carmel. Carmel. Maybe not the same one. Well, yes, not quite. yes. Uh, the Kirkster now lives uh, in um, Carmel. He is a Carmelian, uh, right Carmelian, off, I guess, yes. the 14th uh, fairway of of um, Pebble Beach Golf Pebble Course, Beach. about uh, mm-hmm. a five-minute walk to that beautiful white sand beach there. It is a rough place to live, uh, Kirk. I uh, I feel I'm quite sorry for you. I'll be it's, suffering for yeah, but to suffer, to, to go from Folsom to Carmel. Now, that's a... Uh, down, but I'll do it. I'll take it. That's, that is a, uh, a change. Now, the ensuing episode that we're going to chronicle here, chronicle here is the most entertaining among the most, and among the most revealing throughout the, uh, the prophets. The great debate between Elia, Elijah, and the 180, I guess 850 prophets 
of the Lord Baal and the mother of God, Asherah, is presented in Malachim, 1 Kings 18. It reveals that Yahweh's prophet was fully aware of the claims the Canaanites had made in favor of their gods. So Elia was well-versed on what would become Roman Catholicism. He was well-versed in religion. So he was not just someone who knew and loved Yahweh, but someone who invested the time to be able to effectively expose and condemn the religions of his people, which had been the religion of the Canaanites. The Lord, Habel, as a storm god, was shown to be impotent by Elia when he couldn't so much as ignite a fire beneath an altar. How can you be throwing um, lightning bolts if you can't kindle a fire? And Asherah, as the goddess of fortuitous relationships, was shown otherwise when the fortunes of her prophets took a turn for the worse, and they were all killed. After Yahweh kindled the fire, and Elias sought to embarrass the prince of the air, further, it was Yahweh who caused it to rain, extinguishing the fire that Habel, the Lord, unable to snuff out. As the debate proceeds, the witness, uh, we witness really the oldest political trick in the book. Politicians project their flaws and vulnerabilities upon their opponents and hope of confusing constituents and deflecting criticism away from themselves, all while muddying the waters and slandering their rivals. If you accuse your opponent of what you yourself are guilty of doing, then there is the assumption that truth is somewhere in the middle and you discount the person doing this, using this strategy, you discount their actual flaws and you attribute some of their flaws to their opponent who isn't guilty of them at all. So it's a very effective political trick when used around ignorant and irrational people, which would describe most people then and now. And it came about when Akab saw Elia, that Akab, woeful father of the brethren, said to him, Is this you, you troublemaker of Yisrael? And he answered, It is not I who has troubled Yisrael, but you and your father's household, all by neglecting, rejecting, and abandoning the instructive conditions pursuant to the relationship with Yahweh. You have followed after the Lord's. Of course, that would describe uh, the big three Abrahamic religions, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. You have followed after the Lord's. You have neglected, rejected, and abandoned the mitzvah, the instructive conditions pursuant to the relationship with Yahweh. And so he turned it right on him. He says, you know, he... The king was saying, aren't you the troublemaker of Israel? And he says, no, no, no. You got that all wrong. It's not me. It was trouble Israel. But you and your father's household. 
because you've abandoned Yahweh. Well, I love him. So now, be send for assembling together unto me all Yisrael to Har Ha Carmel, the Mount of the Garden, along with the 450 prophets of Baal, the Lord, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, the beneficial relationships, who eat at Jezebel's, worships the Lord, Jezebel's table. Well, that would be fair, wouldn't it? 850 plus the king and queen entourage to, uh, yeah. to one. Actually, it wasn't a fair fight. Turn out well for the 850 either. If you're feeling that, like so many Muslims and so many Roman Catholics, that uh, truth is um, assessed by popularity, that by becoming a fast-growing religion, by being a popular religion, that therefore your beliefs are true, and that the person who is criticizing them as a single individual must be false. This is a story that should get your attention. So these relative numbers are actually a far more favorable assessment than uh, yeah, was accustomed to when it comes to differentiating himself from false gods. Today, it is more like a million to one, not 850 to one. With the religious overwhelmingly outnumbering Yahweh's witnesses. But then again, the prophets were only part of this dire picture. Corrupted by their leaders, the Israelites had become incurably religious with the preponderance of the people favoring Baal, the Lord, and his cohort, Asherah, the goddess of beneficial relationships. The question Elia poses and the answer he provides at the conclusion of the following statement, I think should be plastered on the door of every home, church, perhaps every synagogue and mosque the world over. For this alone, I think we are rewarded sufficiently for having delved into this great showdown between the Lord and God. And Akab reached out to all of the children of Israel and assembled the prophets on Har Ha Carmel, the Mount of the Garden. Then Elia approached presented himself to all the people. He said, for how much longer will you waver, vacillate, and fail to engage over the two opposing views? He asked, for how much longer will you waver vacillate and fail to engage over the two opposing views. He will ask this question of the Herodim. He will ask this question of the progressives. 
God has a point of view. They have a point of view. They are not the same. And yet, Israel's Israelis of every ilk, from secular to sectarian, will claim to be the chosen people. They will claim to be in a country devoted to God. And yet, there is opposed to God as were the prophets of Baal and Asherah. If Yahweh is God Almighty, choose to walk after him. But if it is the Lord, make the choice to follow after him. Uh, Ilya is a special, special breed of lion altogether. They just don't make mm-hmm. them like Ilya anymore. Um, I, I say a lot of things that are really blunt. I can't even imagine saying this. If Yahweh is God Almighty, choose to walk after him. If it is the Lord, Baal, make the choice to follow after him. I can't say that because I would never begin a sentence that includes Yahweh with an if in it. He's my God. I know him. I trust him. My confidence is in him. And I know the Lord. I know the religious God. And I would never begin a sentence pursuant to the religious God with an if in it. But he did. And it worked out beautifully. That takes tremendous courage and confidence. In fact, I think to state it that way, you would have to be a prophet and you would need to know the outcome of this debate before it started. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing proposition. If Yah was God, follow after him. The Lord is God follow after him. They can't both be God. You can't follow both. Time to choose one or the other. Now, with Yahweh, he has some 40 prophets that revealed his testimony over a thousand years' time. They were all consistent. They were all accurate. The message is profound. He was there at creation. He was there during the flood. He was there during the formation of the covenant. He was there during the rise of Israel and the building of Jerusalem with his son and our Messiah, Dod. He was there, present and accountable, fulfilling the first four Mikre in year 4,000 Yah, 33 CE. And he will return in your 6,000 Yah. He has been here. And he will return. Baal? Not so much. That's not to say that Baal doesn't exist. He does. Satan. Mm-hmm. The god of religion is Satan. There is 
Well, I would have to say, uh, Kirk, uh, I've been doing this for mm-hmm. 20 years, and the roughest chapter I have translated in now almost about 21 years now is the uh, 10th chapter of Daniel. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was so difficult to translate in the midst of it, um, Jan and I had to have a little chat. Uh, not like That sounds almost like I dared Yah to explain it to me. It's not what happened at no. all, but I was clearly antagonized by what I was reading. It was uh, horrible. And uh, uh, Yah was very clear. He says, um, let me explain it to you, and then you can go back and finish your translations and write about what I've uh, told you. Um, the image that Daniel witnesses on uh, the uh, road in the uh, along the river, uh, um, not next to the Tigris, in the midst of Babylon, mm-hmm. is depicted identically to what Paul would claim to have experienced on the road to Damascus. Oh, I didn't know that. He saw Satan. Really. And not only did he see Satan, he described the experience exactly like Paul would describe the experience 600 years thereafter. Wow. And we learn an enormous amount about uh, who Satan <laughs> is because he impersonates Dode. By impersonating Dode, he becomes the Messiah and the Son of God. He becomes worshipped as the Lord God of religion. And it isn't the first place in uh, that book that we have an uh, underpinning of Christianity exposed. The ninth chapter does the same thing, where Dode is explaining the, that he will personally anoint the Most High, which is the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant upon his return. And that thereafter, his reputation will be assailed and he'll be cut down to give the impression that another is the Son of God and the Messiah. What an that insight. Isn't even the, that isn't even the first of the, uh, the bad news. The worst of it begins very early where the entire experience of where Daniel is allegedly being judged in front of, uh, of uh, what turns out to be an imaginary king. Uh, all of that story, from the conspiring witnesses that are desirous of having him tortured and killed, to the verdict of the king, which is, I wipe my hands of this, he's an innocent man, to after making that determination, causing him to, uh, to, or trying to cause him to suffer a torturous death after saying he's innocent, and the resurrection and the moving of the stone, the trip to the upper room, all of which metastasized itself again in the Christian New Testament. Yeah, Daniel is actually a book written about a man who epitomizes the rise of Roman Christianity 
and rabbinic Judaism. And what most people don't recognize, and, and, and why I'm going into this now, is that we're talking about the Lord, which is a term that Daniel uses to the point it's like scratching your nails on a blackboard. Mm-hmm. In fact, Daniel himself is called Balthazar. May the Lord protect the king. The integration of religion and politics. Most people do not recognize that Christianity arose on a single misleading premise. And that premise was that Yosha, rather than being Yahweh saves, rather than being the Passover lamb, was instead the equivalent of doubt. That he was the Messiah and Son of God. Yosha's attributes, Yosha's titles, the blessings that Yahweh had given him, were stolen by the Christians to create this myth that rather than being the Passover lamb, the misnomer now was the Messiah and Son of God. Something that Dode exposes. But the reason that Shaul, Paul, prevailed and Roman Christianity grew lies directly at the feet of the rise of rabbinic Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism was created coterminously with all of these events for the express purpose of trying to combat the rise of this new Romanized religion, Christianity, in their midst. And had the rabbis simply stated, no, you are wrong, the Messiah is Dode, read Yahweh's assessment. No, the Son of God is Dode, read Yahweh's declaration. Oh, by the way, this other fellow, his name is Yosha, it means Yahweh saves. And God made it really clear is the Pesach Al, the Passover lamb. And oh, by the way, God's name is Yahweh. And the Torah, prophets, and Psalms, and his one and only covenant stand forever. Had the rabbis said that, there would never have been Christianity. Without Christianity, Jews would not have been oppressed for 2,000 years. Without Christianity, there is no Islam. Without rabbis, there is no Islam. It is the emergence of the rabbis and their inability to correctly deal with the claims Paul made about this misnomer Jesus and calling him the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God, stealing from Dode in replacement theology that the rabbis could not defend against, did not defend against. And by condemning Yosha as the Passover lamb, they deprived Jews for 2,000 years of the opportunity to engage in the covenant. It is an exceedingly sad story, and Daniel represents those things. Daniel's not a good guy. He's a very bad man. But the book is entirely accurate, even in its inaccuracies, because its inaccuracies direct our attention 
to the inaccuracies of Christianity and rabbinic Judaism. When this volume is published, it will be the most controversial thing you have ever read from Yada. And uh, yet, it is the most accurate interpretation of Daniel ever contemplated. I hope to, uh, over the next few weeks, to finish this. I'm, uh, um, the 11th chapter is very long. It is exceedingly complicated, and the implications are, uh, are powerful, not because of Daniel. Um, Elia, who begins the uh, 11th chapter, essentially tells Daniel to shut up. <laughs> and uh, he says, so I was supposed to go mm-hmm. back and to deal with these trials. But you're so lost, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And he goes right through it. And uh, Elias brilliant in, um, in Daniel's uh, 11. And he is brilliant here as well. We are exceedingly fortunate to have a man with his wit, with his courage, with his foresight, with his commitment as part of the covenant family. Well, I went over this before. I went off on a tirade because, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Elia, and I mm-hmm. uh, have a new appreciation for what he was up against. Then Elia approached, and he presented himself to all of the people of Israel, and he said, for how much longer will you waver, vacillate, and fail to engage over the two opposing views? If Yahweh is God Almighty, choose to walk after him. But if it is the Lord, Habel, make the choice to follow after him. However, the people did not respond. They did not reply to him with a single word. Well, oh, that's telling. Speaking of telling, in the, uh, in the chapter I'm translating now, Elia was speaking mm-hmm. and telling us what to expect during the rise of the Torahless One and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, is uh, the model for the, uh, the Torahless One, uh, the devil's advocate. And twice... He says that the reason that he was able to rise in power, and of course his, his tenure coincides with the Maccabean revolt, and uh, it's likely that he killed uh, as many as 100,000 uh, Jews. And he was a really extraordinarily evil man. Uh, God calls him despicable. Uh, that he says that the environment that he arose, uh, particularly among the... Uh, Gentiles who he takes advantage of was that they were um, comatose. They were essentially uh, tranquilized. Um, didn't seem to, uh, to care. They were thoughtless. Like thoughtless is the, a direct translation of this. Thoughtless, opinionated, unresponsive. He's really explaining the consequence of, of progressive thought 
of um, uh, of political correctness and of rendering people incapable of exercising good judgment. As a matter of fact, Daniel, who represents this period and this uh, ailment, particularly in rabbinic Judaism, specifically admits that his nasama is no longer functional. He has a broken conscience. And that is the environment into which the devil's advocate will rise. And in this case, the people did not respond or reply to him. Didn't say a word. Now, it's a tough. And this is the point that uh, yeah, I was making many, many times. That the overtly political and the overtly religious are incapable of evidence and reason, um, of processing evidence and reason. They, um, they respond to everything by attacking the messenger. Uh, they won't allow any criticism of their faith. Um, so even if the testimony comes directly from God, like the nincompoop that pilfered from uh, my uh, writings to uh, slander mm-hmm. me while uh, promoting Jesus, even if the testimony comes directly from God condemning their point of view, they can't process it. And that's the nature of uh, what happens to the religious. And uh, amongst God's people, uh, the Israelites, who we can't hear the most about, trying to educate Jews to the point that they stop being political, stop being religious, and start listening to Yahweh. If Yahweh is God, follow after him. The biggest obstacle to that is the belligerence of the political and Mm -hmm. the religious, such that they're incapable of processing even what God says to them. Turning a deaf ear to God cannot be resolved. You can't fix stupid. Even when in the presence of one of God's most articulate and brilliant prophets, everyone was dumbfounded. Not a single Jew had the courage or character to stand up for what's right. And that's Satan's greatest victory. The reason he is the author and advocate of religion. Faith intoxicates the mind and it corrupts the conscience, often irrevocably. For those not similarly lost, it is the most life-altering proposition any of us will encounter. With the referendum between God and the Lord, Yahweh and Satan, it is essentially unfathomable that most people cannot or will not distinguish between them. For most, the Lord is their God. They unwittingly worship Satan and irrationally view Yahweh as their adversary. And that crowd on that particular day, there wasn't a single person, not one, who could correctly distinguish between the Lord and God. And that remains true throughout Israel today. The most incredulous part of this lingering conundrum is how much more rational and rewarding one option is over the other. Yahweh has proven through prophecy that he is God. And he has demonstrated that he can be trusted. 
By contrast, based upon the contradictory and irrational rants found in the Babylonian Talmud, the Christian New Testament, and Muhammad's Quran. Uh, the Quran is easily the dumbest book ever written. How Muslims over these years have killed on behalf of the God of the Quran when that book is dumber than dumb is, uh, is just a myth to me. The Lord has demonstrated that he isn't God and that he cannot be trusted. Yahweh's offering to perfect our souls, make us immortal, adopt us into his family, raise us as his children, enrich our lives, enlighten our minds, and empower our souls while liberating us to explore the universe. Pretty good deal. Yahweh would deny all of that, guiling the religious into being controlled by his prophets. Yahweh has Moshe, Dod, and Eliyah speaking for him. Well, Satan deploys the likes of Paul, Akiba, Mamamadis, and Muhammad. This referendum is the Torah, Nabi, Wamizmor versus the New Testament, the Talmud, the Quran. It is brilliant versus stupid, right versus wrong, life versus death, yeah. truth versus lies. True. It's the easiest all in the universe and not one in a million make the correct decision. Got to be frustrating for God. He made it. All God asks of us is to stop vacillating between these two contradictory options. If the Lord is your God, if you address your deity as Jesus Christ, Hashem, Adonai, or Allah, then just as you do not know Yahweh, you are unknown to God. Then Elia, which means Yah is God, said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of Yahweh. I am the only one. And while that sounds tragic, even within Yisrael, it's worse today. In fact, it has been worse since right around 400 BCE, when there have been none for the past 2,500 years. There hasn't been a single Yisraelite whom Yahweh could use as a prophet. But the prophets of the Lord are 450 individuals. It's far worse. Because there are none today, and there hasn't been a prophet, as I say, for 2,500 years. Over that vast expanse of time, not a single Jew has been willing to reject religion and politics and listen to God to the extent Yahweh requires to speak through them as a prophet to his people. Now, that is beginning to change. And God said it would in advance of his return. There are Yehudim who are listening again. Although there will be no prophets 
until Elia returns for Pesach in 2030. As a result, Jews speak for many things, but never for God. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that that Dode, when he's uh, laying out all the things that's going to happen, one of the things that he says that uh, uh, is going to occur is that an end of prophecy. That very shortly down the road, and and uh, there were only two prophets after uh, I can't say after the time of Daniel, who was not a prophet. There were only two prophets, mm-hmm. Zechariah who spoke almost exclusively of the fulfillment of Kippurim, and Malachi, who spoke exclusively of the days surrounding Yahweh's return on Kippurim and the results of Sukkah. Only two. Dode predicted it. How can you have an inspired Babylonian Talmud when God said there's going to be no more prophecy? How can you have a Christian New Testament when God said there will be no more prophecy. Great That's point. It. As a result, Jews speak for many things, but never for God. And since there has never been a Gentile prophet, and will never be one, Humanity has endured a long intermission, one consistent with OSHA's declaration. Now, saying that, Yahweh has a lot to say about what we are doing here, about Yada mm-hmm. Yahweh as a series of, uh, of books, as this program which uh, pronounces uh, his name and calls his people home. He has a lot to say about us. Uh, we're we're in, in, Virtually every book, there's a mention, and some many times. That said, we are Zeroah in the sense that we are sowing the seeds that Yahweh has planted. We are Bashar, heralds, conveying the news. We are serving in the role of a Malak, messenger. We are Nakri, an observant and responsive foreigner. We're a Choder, a a sucker coming up from the old rootstock that has fallen, the tree that has fallen. We are Mekael, the one who speaks the truth about God. We are lots of things, but we are never referred to as a Nabi. There will not be a Gentile Nabi. There will be no prophets until Eliyahu returns. There's an enormous difference between being a Nabi and doing what we're doing, which is to assess Tell the statements story. of a Nabi yeah. and report on them. Yeah. But that's what Yahweh's people need. They've had plenty of Nabi, and they didn't listen. And so if they wouldn't listen to their own, when God spoke to them and interacted with them and liberated them, and served them and led them in their language. And God says, all right, and I'm going to reach out to you in the end with a goyim. A goy, a Gentile. And he will be your last witness. 
Yosha had declared the same thing. The dearth of acceptable candidates amongst Israelites is so bad. The next time Yahweh speaks to his people through a prophet, as I said, he'll be sending al back as one of mm-hmm. his two witnesses. I mean, and the book of Yashaya, which is where our role in calling Israel home to Yahweh, is the most often presented, the most detailed presentation of that. Yahweh specifically says over and over again, I looked and I couldn't find one Jew. Not one Israelite who would listen to me. The great tragedy in Yeshayah's brilliant life as he was invited to heaven, Yahweh threw open the door, Pesach, and there wasn't a single person outside. Well, that is changing because there's a second opportunity at the door to reconciliation, Yom Kippur, which will be fulfilled in year 6,000, Yah, 2033. It is telling that the religious have continually and universally worshipped their God as the Lord. It is curious indeed because there are only three ways that the God of the Canaanites, Babylonians, Assyrians, Greeks and Romans, Roman Catholics and Muslims, and even Israelites became addressed in a manner so contrary to Yahweh's nature. There is the possibility that pagans selected this title because they saw their sun god lording over them. If so, by continuing to use this title, a petitioner is implying that the pagan deities were real. And yet, a person might as well call their god Baal, Amen-Ra, Adonis, Jupiter, Dionysus, Apollo, or Zeus, even Jesus or Allah, should they continue to acknowledge the Lord. They're all the same. Second, the false prophets and pagan priests, the self-serving and self-aggrandizing kings, queens, and dictators, leagued together and created gods in their image so that they could use them to justify lording over and controlling everyone else. My Lord and My Lord, capital L or lowercase l, shared the same title because they were cut out of the same cloth. Just as the Christian Jesus was shaped by Paul, an egomaniac, and Allah was Muhammad's alter ego, humankind has long anthropomorphized their gods and their goddesses. In particular, those in charge, those lording over others, named them after themselves, bequeathing their gods with their preferred title. The third option is Satan may have chosen this moniker for himself because it serves his interests. It replaces the Ha-Satan, the adversary title, he is trying to dismiss while positioning himself to be worshipped as if he were God. But if so, a prayer to the Lord is a plea to Satan. The title reflects the adversary's desire 
to be seen lording over Yahweh and controlling his creation. I'd mentioned the term cannot be used in association with Yahweh because he presents himself as our father. Fathers are not lords. They do not own, they do not control us. Fathers love their children, and rather than lording over them, they attempt to lift up their children to stand even taller than they. Elia said, you call upon the name of your gods, and I will invite calling upon the name of Yahweh. See, there isn't a single Jew in the religious world, not even one in the secular world, who could make this statement. Not one. And I will invite calling upon Kara Bashem of Yahweh. Not one. You'll never see Yahweh's name spoken or written by a rabbi. Spoken or written by a progressive, secular, political Jew. Never once. Oh, they will speak of their God. But he is never Yahweh. What did Elia say? I will invite calling upon the name mm-hmm. of Yahweh. Then. Let it be that the God who answers, responding with fire, eh, he's God. And all the people replied, this statement and resolution is appropriately stated. This referendum, yada yada, is seeking to arbitrate. We're inviting you to call upon the name of Yahweh, while the religious would have you submit to their Lord. Truth is on our side, as is every benefit. It's too bad. The people are not. When they called upon the name of the Lord, Habel, from morning up to uh, and until midday when the sun was at its highest and brightest point of the day, saying, O Lord, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. So they vacillated and they wavered the soccer over the altar which they had made. 1 Malekum 18.26 And it came to be at midday when the sun was at the highest and brightest point that Elia mocked and taunted them, pointing out the irony to them, saying, Call out in a loud voice for your God because... He is meditating, preoccupied with his devotional, pondering a frivolous conversation. Or perhaps he's having a bowel movement and is relieving himself. (laughs) He's out for a walk. Maybe he's sleeping and he must be awakened. Never in the annals of debate. Has anybody been as precise, convincing, witty, or blunt? (laughs) Your God is at the height of his powers. That sun is right up there in the center of the sky, beaming down on us. That's your God. That's the Lord. But you better shout. (laughs) There's another one at the bathroom door. Yeah, you need to shout. He said, 
Why? Uh, because he's meditating. He's preoccupied with his devotional. He's pondering some frivolous conversation, or perhaps he's having a bowel movement and is relieving himself. Or rather, he's just out on a walk. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Pretty good. I am attacked routinely by the religious to say that, you know, my um, criticism of their religion is, well, is unfair. It's prejudiced. It's crude. It's, you know, all manner of awful things. Uh, this man, his but name is Yahweh is God. He's he not is. only an inspired prophet, he's got to be amongst God's favorite when it comes to exposing and condemning religion because he's the one that God is calling back. Yeah, you're and he just twice. said, your God is taking a dump. It. Your God is having a devotional moment. That's what he just said. And you think that God isn't enthusiastic in his support of those of us who expose and condemn religion? Just as we can be certain that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, that he was not the Messiah, that Paul was a false prophet and the Christian New Testament is unreliable, we can be assured that the Christian religion is invalid. The same is true for rabbis and Judaism. Elia recognized that Baal the Lord was not God and that his prophets were frauds. So rather than respect them or even tolerate them in a politically correct and multicultural fashion, he mocked them. And he did so cleverly by pointing out the irony of this situation. At high noon, their God should have been at the peak of his powers. And yet his devotees were getting nothing but sunburn. Sarcasm, like satire and cynicism, is intellectual humor. It is used effectively to point out the absurdity in things through association. It is often denounced as unacceptable, and it's condemned today because people are insufficiently judgmental, and they can't interpret the humorous comparisons appropriately. But we can be clear. The lone person inspired by God on this day was sarcastic. He mocked and ridiculed the prophets and gods of the people's preferred religion. Therefore, in the great debate between religion and Yahweh, let it be known that those speaking on behalf of religion are opposed to God, and those who speak for him expose and condemn the religious. We do not and should not ever respect them, any of them. We should not partner with them. We should not encourage them. According to Yahweh, the greatest enemy of his people, it's not Nazism, it's not communism, it's not Islam, it's not even Christianity. No, when you Jesus, read the prophets, it becomes evident that the greatest enemy 
of the Jewish people is Judaism. The religious seldom play nice since they are unable to refute criticism of their faith with evidence and reason. They dismiss critics by inferring that it is impolite and improper, even ungodly, to criticize the underpinnings of their faith. They go so far as to claim that an individual attacking their religion is influenced by Satan, when the exact opposite is true. If you have a stomach for shrill voices, listen to the Hasidic rabbis address conservative or reformed Jews. Or if you want to watch a Muslim respond to someone with the courage and compassion to speak honestly about Muhammad and his pet Allah, stick around. Listen. Open your ears. Also relevant. Elia was properly prepared to do this job. He not only knew Yahweh, he understood and despised religion. That's just why he could accurately and effectively expose and condemn it. This is why he was so effective at embarrassing the Israelites who were worshiping the Lord. It is also why Yahweh was sending, or why Yahweh is sending him back at the time of Jacob's troubles. Who better to mock the religious and confront the political, pointing out the irony of their beliefs, than the man who has proven that he could do so? We are in for a treat. What a thrill it's going to be to mm-hmm. have Elia back. Personally, I suffer fools poorly. I will toy with those who contradict Yahweh. Those who contact me to irrationally defend their religion, often pointing out the asinine nature of their claims, are not well received. I don't love them into the covenant. No. Point out the flaws of what they're saying, and I shoot them away. Don't want them in the covenant. It isn't until somebody abandons their religion that they can approach God. And so if they're coming to defend their religion, they're nothing but an annoyance. We're not here to save everyone. That isn't our job. Our job is to expose and condemn religion so that those who are open and rational and are willing to listen will leave the influence of the political, will leave the influence of Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, and then come to listen to what Yahweh has to say. Because until they first walk away, there is no hope in reaching them. As is the case today with rabbis and with priests, the Lord's ministers were either unwilling or unable to accept the fact that their religion was disingenuous and that their gods were worthless. Rather than listen to Yahweh's Kara invitation, they continued to protest. It is reminiscent of the foolishness of Paul's pray without ceasing. I'll tell you what, if you're praying without ceasing, if you're one of the heredi bobbing your head against the wall while chanting, then you're not listening to God. And if you're not listening to Yahweh, then you do not have a relationship with him. 
When the religious flap their lips and they wag their tongues, they are not listening to Yah, but instead to themselves, those who concur with them. They continually called out with a great many loud voices, and they cut themselves with their blades, as was their way of resolving disputes using swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. You know, it's a common sight to see the religious um, abuse themselves. Mm -hmm. The the holiest day on the rabbinic calendar is the the day of atonement where uh, Jews afflict their souls, deny themselves. Um, As we approach Good Friday and Easter sunrise, it is about a, a dead god on a stick who reanimates his corpse. Well, I should tell you that uh, when um, Daniel sees the vision of Satan, it is of a reanimated corpse. Really? Absolutely. Wow. He is witnessing wow. Satan use the twisted... Jesus story. Jesus story. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yep. It is a. Uh, it was a real eye opener to uh, to see it. Honestly, the way it uh, the way Yahweh intended, and I, I'm quite convinced that the result is that it's the first time. And now, two thousand six hundred years that these things have been known. Sure. Well, Guaranteed. Uh, hey, well, uh, well, with the exception of Elia and well, Dode, yeah, probably that's different. Weren't, yeah. uh, weren't really uh, <clears throat> very impressed with them. I, in fact, I, you know, I'm, I'm the fellow that plays the role of uh, Makael, which is a pretty small role in, in the whole thing. Uh, I get, um, I get exasperated with him. Very early on, uh, trying to explain uh, what he has witnessed, and uh, and uh, my uh, my only real claim to uh, fame in this story is that I call Toad. I said, "Okay, okay, I give up. <laughs> Could you please explain this to him?" And uh, after a while, Toad gives up, and he calls Elia and and says, "Okay, okay, it's it's your turn now." Um, so it, it is quite a story. So anyway, uh, a future me understands, uh, uh, and uh, Elia understood, as did uh, as did Dote, and of course Yahweh, um, that um, Daniel was playing the role of rabbinic Judaism and Roman Christianity. Rather than accept Yahweh's terms and cut themselves into the covenant, the religious cut themselves out of it. They lacerate their bodies from the process. And they're not alone. Self-inflicted wounds have long been part of religions. Christians did it throughout the Middle Ages. Some of them do it today. In fact, most of the Christian martyrs actually sought Roman persecution so that they could prove the validity of their faith. Um, Shiite Muslims whipped themselves during the celebration of Asherah Day in honor of the Queen of Heaven and Mother of God. Even rabbinic Jews speak of the affliction each year during Yom Kippur. 
it is hard to fathom why the faithful would want to spend an eternity with a God who enjoys watching his devotees hurt and demean themselves. I suppose they haven't thought it through. But then, the most popular religion in the world prays around under the symbol of a dead and tortured God on a stick. So if we're not torturing ourselves, we're torturing our image of Having debated countless religious apologists, I realized that no matter how many times you prove to them that they are wrong, they turn the page and cite yet another inane verse from their twisted scriptures. That is what occurred on this day. It came to be as the sun passed by its highest and brightest point. They prophesied until the time to lift up the sacrifice, but there was no voice, no answer, and there was no one paying attention. Of course, it's the blight of religion. The misled voices of the many drowned out the lone voice speaking on behalf of God. Nothing Yahweh or his prophets and witnesses reveal matters to those titillated by faith. Even when God is addressing they ignore him. We are up to the point where we're about to end mm-hmm. the broadcast and to stop. We'll continue to record. We'll go a little further this evening. But okay. uh, we'll pick this back up at, uh, at this time uh, next week. But I will share a little more of uh, what um, is brought to us in the book of uh, Malachim, 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. Now, the religious will, of course, claim that their God answers prayers, but that's not true. The events they seek to alter play out unaffected by the petition. The only correlation between their request and the resulting outcome is attributable to the placebo effect, one so common it must be addressed in clinical trials. Elias said to the people, move toward me, drawing near. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired and restored the altar to Yahweh, which had been previously destroyed and lay in ruins. Then Elias took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Jacob, because it was unto them that the word of Yahweh had come to exist. He declared, Yisrael, individuals who contend against or endure with God, is your name. Then with the stones, he rebuilt the family altar in the name of Yahweh. He engaged to fashion a restoring channel to approach the altar, suitable to house two measures of seed. When it came to be the time for the offering to rise, the prophet Eliah approached and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham and of Yishak, this day let it be known to Yisrael that you are Almighty God in Yisrael for those who engage and endure with you, and that I am your associate and co-worker. In accordance with your word, I have engaged and made all of these statements. You have chosen to rely on me, Yahweh. Isn't that an amazing statement? You have mm-hmm. chosen to rely on me, Yahweh. Ana Ani Yahweh. God chose to rely on a man 
and he was pleased with him. Yahweh chose to rely on a man when he chose Noah to build the ark to his specifications. He chose to rely on a man when he chose Moshe to reveal the terms and conditions of the covenant and to share God's Torah instructions to liberate his people from the oppressive realm of Mitzrayim. Yahweh chose to rely on a man when he chose Shamuel to be the last judge and prophet man to wear both mantles. He chose to rely on an individual when he chose Dode, the young boy, anointed him to serve as the Messiah, called him his son. It is Yahweh's preference to rely on people. It's the whole reason he created the universe. God chooses not to interact directly with people, but rather to work through them. He chooses chooses the one over the many. He chooses the individual that would be the last pick if we humans were given that choice. He says his criterion is completely different than humanity's. He chose Elia because Elia represents many of the characteristics that God finds endearing. He has a sense of humor. He was brilliant. He knew what he was talking about. He actually cared for God's people and was trying to awaken them. Yahweh, you have chosen to rely on me. And I will tell you, Elia did not disappoint him. Because it is your will to answer me so that people may come to know that indeed you, Yahweh Almighty, you can affect and change their motivations and thinking back again in the end. He's speaking to us today. You have chosen to rely on me, Yahweh, because it is your will to answer me so that these people may come to know that indeed you, Yahweh, are God Almighty and that you affect and change motivations and thinking such that they can return in the end to you. Then the radiant light and transformative fire of Yahweh descended, moving from a higher position to a lower one. It consumed the offering, which elevates and also the wooden timbers along with the stones and even the dust evaporating the water, which was the healing and restoring channel. When each person witnessed it, they fell on their faces. Oh, you nincompoops. And said, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is God Almighty. Their trust and reliance on Yahweh wouldn't last as long as it would take to get their noses out of the dirt. It's one of the reasons why Yahweh is not big into miracles and signs. All they do is impress the morons and cause them to respect, to respond in a religious way. 
Yeah, well, almost never does signs and wonders. His method of communicating is to teach so that if we're thoughtful, we learn. And once we learn, we put the pieces together, make the necessary connections to understand. And once we understand, there is no sign or wonder that can compare to it. So Yahweh very seldom does this. It's a very ineffective tool. But even in the the sign, while the sign had the negative effect of people falling down on their faces, all of it was preceded with brilliant words, with words that we can learn from, words that can cause us to understand, words that empower us to make the right choice on choosing to walk after the way of Yahweh. Pretty good place for us to end our program this evening, Kirk. Yes, sir. Uh, it is uh, quite a presentation. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though. Uh, um, I am um, I'm a huge fan of Elia. There, there are probably four people uh, that have come across uh, and uh, that Yahweh presents that are special to him, and and Elia is is in my top four. I'm. I uh, I have a crush on Moshe. I just think Moshe is just the epitome of of class. He is uh, articulate and brilliant and and steadfast and devoted and um, what a phenomenal teacher. Um, it's hard not to love Talia, the most brilliant person, the most articulate person, the I think the greatest of the prophets, the man that God called His son. Uh, uh, yes, indeed, I have a bromance with him as well. He is my brother, and I mm-hmm. love him dearly. Don't. Um, there is a prophet who is near and dear to me. Uh, we have a uh, an exceeding close and harmonious relationship. Uh, we are uh, the opposite sides of the same coin relative to time and role, and that is Yashaya, Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. But within that group... Um, the next, in terms of, uh, of men that I have come to love and respect, enjoy their company, is Elia. So when we have the opportunity, as we did tonight, to listen to our brother, uh, my good friend, um, my partner, um, Elia, mm-hmm. it is, uh, it's a thrill to do so. So Can I wish I you all a, uh, a wonderful night as we have uh, completed uh, our celebration of, uh, of Sukkah, and we are uh, moving in to the time that the year this year will end, and we will move into the new year and celebrate yet another opportunity to enjoy Pesach, Matzah, and Bakudim. I bid you all a night. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbat, and may Yah bless everyone. Good night.